Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Welcome to Curious Now. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every other week I sit down with a brilliant expert to go beyond the headlines. Today, we're speaking with ACLU lawyer and someone who I am honored to call a friend, Chase Strangio and Elle, a transgender girl at the center of a lawsuit against the state of Tennessee. We're talking all about the impact that gender-affirming care bans have on trans people everywhere. For now, let's go over to our news desk. Hello, Jonathan. This is Jonathan reporting live from my podcasting room. And here are our news stories of the week. In headlines that even straight people are talking about, the Supreme Court has issued an ethics code for the justices to follow. This code comes after it was revealed that there were undisclosed property deals and gifts received by several of the justices. But the jury is out, excuse the pun, on whether or not this ethics code is really giving ethical anything. Uh, A lot of legal scholars and observers of the court are saying that this is kind of a nothing burger of an ethics code. It, it, It falls very far short of an overhaul of ethics that, you know, we really need. And I also think that until Chief Justice John Roberts, or maybe even Alito, testify in front of Congress about some of these shady dealings, I think people are going to continue to have questions. In our next story, the National Association of Realtors released a report saying the average age of a repeat home buyer was 58 years old. Economists say this means that the market will be even more difficult for first-time buyers to enter because they will be competing against people who are likely much wealthier than them. Goddamn, these fucking boomers, you know? God love them. They're cute, cute as they could be, you know, but shit. Can some other people get some houses? Uh, 
Anyway, if you're a boomer and you're offended by that, I am so sorry. And please don't stop listening to our podcast. And we love you. Respect your elders. In our next story, the U.S. and China have agreed to jointly tackle climate change by ramping up their use of renewable energy. President of China Xi Jinping was in San Francisco to meet with President Biden. Both countries have agreed to try to triple their current renewable energy capacity by 2030, while simultaneously phasing out use of fossil fuels. Many experts say that this agreement will lay the foundation for the upcoming UN climate talks in Dubai, known as COP28. For our next segment, stories that made me go, whoa, China is taking back all of its pandas from the U.S. zoos. No! The last three pandas at the Smithsonian National Zoo are preparing to return back to China, meaning there will only be four pandas remaining in the U.S. They are located in Atlanta and expected to depart next year. The official reason for this sudden panda departure is that the contracts from China that lent the pandas to the U.S. zoos have expired and were not renewed. So if you live in the U.S. and want to see a panda, you might want to head over to Atlanta sooner rather than later. Or, of course, turn on the Discovery Channel or watch one on TikTok. In our next story, according to at least one AI expert, the moment when AI will no longer be under human control is less than a decade away. This moment is called the singularity, and due to advancements in AI technology, Ben Gortzel, CEO of SingularityNet, claims that moment may be closer than it appears. However, other experts were quick to point out that getting to the singularity will require a significant leap in technology from the current point of AI development. Whew! Thank God. And our next story, a supervolcano in Italy has shown signs of starting to wake up. Not Pompeii 2.0. The supervolcano is called Campi Flegre. If you're Italian and you just got very upset at that pronunciation, we would love to hear how you actually say it. And it is actually close to Italy's more famous volcano, Mount Vesuvius. Ah! Well, Campi Flegre has not had a major eruption since 1538, Seismic activity in the area has been intensifying since December of 2022. This increase in activity has led many experts to believe this volcano could be reawakening after generations of no action. Now, on our last episode of Curious Now, we reported on the death of Bobby, the world's oldest dog. However, we have an interesting update on that story. Guinness World Records is officially investigating whether Bobby's age was genuine or not. Many veterinarians said that the chances that he actually lived to be the equivalent of 200 in human years is extremely unlikely. But it's not Bobby's fault, and we shouldn't speak ill of the dead, because it was allegedly, this investigation is allegedly happening from allegedly lying owners who were potentially lying. But it's not been confirmed. For our next segment, it's the gay agenda. Austria has set aside millions of euros to compensate gay people who had faced prosecution up until two decades ago. Austria decriminalized homosexuality in 1971, but there were still discriminatory laws in place in the early 2000s. The junior minister estimated that 11,000 people were eligible for compensation. The law will allow for compensation starting in February of 2024, just in time for Valentine's Day. The justice minister estimated that 11,000 people were eligible for compensation. The law will allow for compensation starting in February of 2024. People investigated under discriminatory laws will get 500 euros, while people convicted under those laws are eligible for 3,000 euros or more. Fierce, go buy you an investment account, not an impulse buy. 
and one of the most recent updates on gender-affirming care bans across the country. In North Dakota, a judge has denied an initial request to block their ban on gender-affirming care for trans children. The plaintiffs have also asked for a preliminary injunction that would block enforcement of the law as the case proceeds in court. A hearing for that request is set for January. Uh, for our final segment, on your radar, on your radar, on your radar. On our last Curious Now, and for, you know, years, really, uh, we told all of you that you needed to vote. And you did just that. There were so many amazing victories in Virginia where the Senate stayed blue and the House of Delegates was flipped to blue as well. This is a better turnout than expected. We were really praying that we... Oh, also, Danica Rome uh, got a promotion, honey. She went from being um, the first trans... Uh, representative in the House of Delegates in the state of Virginia. Now she's the first state senator, the first trans state senator in the Virginia State Senate. So go her, go Danica. We also won the state Supreme Court seat in Pennsylvania. Um, Didn't do so hot in Mississippi. Could have guessed. Uh, We did do great in Kentucky. Go Andy Bashir. We also... um, there were some really important school board races that we won as well that were really interesting where we swept some school board stuff. And I do think what we're seeing here is that a lot of these culture war issues are not panning out well for Republicans. Uh, we also saw that in Ohio, which successfully voted to make abortion a constitutionally protected right, as well as passing uh, marijuana, I, I believe recreational marijuana. Um, also, interestingly, Republicans in the state of Ohio have already started to go to look to see how they can try to block the implementation of the um, constitutional right to abortion. Um, so it really speaks to the importance of voting. Um, so if you voted in a recent election, this is to shout you out. You did so good. We also need to give a shout out to Sister District, who put so much time, effort, and energy into ensuring this amazing win in Virginia. The work they do is so important and impactful. So we truly hope that they are celebrating this amazing victory. So that's all we have for our uh, opening news stories of Curious Now. And now let's toss to our conversation with ACLU lawyer Chase Strangio and L to talk all about their fight for gender-affirming care in Tennessee. Joining us on Curious Now is no stranger to the podcast and someone who we are a huge fan of around here, Chase Strangio. And also we have Elle. So uh, Chase, you know, you are not new uh, to the Getting Curious universe, but for listeners who may need a refresher, can you introduce yourself and tell us about the work that you do with ACLU? Uh, Yes. Well, thank you for having me. And I am a lawyer at the National Office of the ACLU. I've been at the ACLU for about 11 years, focusing on litigating trans justice cases in the courts and federal court and state court, lobbying around the country to try to stop all of the wave of anti-trans bills um, that unfortunately have been escalating over the last seven years and also doing different types of public education to try to talk about gender, talk about trans justice and get people to understand that the fight for trans liberation is a fight that implicates all of us. Elle, uh, we are so excited to meet you. Can you tell us about yourself, hun? I'm, you know, transgender. I happen to be in the right situation at the right time. And now I'm suing the government for trying to legislate my body, I guess. What's going on with gender-affirming care? It's very in the news. Parents' rights is only allowed for uh, conservative Christians who don't want their kids to read certain books, but no one else. Yeah. But what's going on with gender-affirming care, Chase? 
So it is a good question. What is going on with gender affirming care? How did we get to this point in our both lawmaking and our public discourse where this became such a flashpoint? And um, so first, when, when we're talking about gender affirming care, what we're talking about is the established evidence-based medicine for treating transgender people's gender dysphoria. Um, and that is the type of gender affirming care that's targeted right now by lawmakers across the country. Now, gender affirming care more broadly is something that is available and accessible to everyone. And in fact, the largest consumers of gender affirming care are cisgender people. We, uh, you know, you could think of things that like laser hair removal as gender affirming care. You could think of any uh, sort of cosmetic surgery as gender affirming care. You can think of, you know, people wear, uh, you know, eyeglasses when they don't need them because they look cute. Any, you know, so, so thinking about what does it mean to seek out some sort of intervention that affirms how you understand your gender. When we're talking about gender affirming care for transgender people, we're talking about treatment for a condition called gender dysphoria. And gender affirming medical treatment for gender dysphoria has been around for decades. And that's one of the things that's super important to ground ourselves in because so much of the conversation acts as though this originated yesterday, which that's not true. Look at, you know, we have like Christine Jorgensen many, many years ago. These decisions that parents and their kids come to around whatever their gender affirming care is going to look like aren't decisions that are made super flippantly or lightly certainly not i mean i had to you know i had to debate with my parents for like over the span of like a few months and when was that when were these when were these when were these month-long debates l uh about a year ago yes i was you're smelling what i'm stepping in though that i was trying to get the chronology that it's not like you know, like, it's not like Elle was like, hey, mom and dad, I think I might be trans. And then we were like getting on hormones in three hours. It's like, yeah, there's just this fear that like kids are 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 going too quick or that they're making these decisions that are too quick. And there are safeguards like parents are there. There are doctors. There are standards of care that Chase is so often talking about. And, um, you know, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm curious about what your experience was. This is something that parents and kids and doctors are talking about over the period period of months and years. Way more than I will say as a parent, most decisions that we make on behalf of our children, even those that have, you know, side effects and consequences. And I think one of the things that parents know is that there's so much about raising a kid that is unknown. And you are doing your best with the best information that you have available. And this is something that is so deliberative and slow. In the media and in the public conversation, there is this very reflexive uh, uh, thing that happens for cis people. And it's deliberately created by the right, which is to feel this revulsion at the notion of gender nonconformity as they understand it, even if many trans people are actually gender conforming. So, so that so many of the, so, so, you know, they'll, they'll talk about, you know, uh, they'll use pictures of say top surgery scars, like they'll hold pictures up of trans masculine people and say, these are mutilated people. And they use this idea, this effort to talk about our bodies in a way that's designed to cause people to feel in some way 
disgusted by our bodies and play into the fear um, that uh, fear of difference. And that's very much part of the discourse now. And then in court and in the legislative testimony, we often hear things like, uh, you know, testosterone causes, you know, hair growth on people's faces. Well, of course, that's what people want. That is the intended effect of the treatment. They're using the intended effects of the treatment to try to claim that they're harmful. When those effects, bringing our physiological bodies into alignment with who we know we are, is diminishing the very serious distress that people are, 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 are experiencing prior to the treatment and all of the data that we have. Um, and this is another thing we hear all the time. There's no data. This is all new. There's, there is so much data. There's the clinical data of physicians who have been treating us for decades, and there's the studies that we have available, um, both of which confirm that this treatment alleviates this type of distress by bringing our bodies into alignment with how we understand ourselves. And then these other side effects that were talked about are extraordinarily exaggerated. So, for example, the, impl- the impact on fertility um, is something that we hear all the time. And the reality is that uh, for many people who, for example, just take hormone therapy, there is, you know, all the studies are showing that, in fact, there is very little impact on, on fertility. And, and one of the main problems that people have is they think that it is a form of birth control because they've been told so many times that that it's sterilizing. And then you have all these trans men getting pregnant. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wajahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. In the brand new book, Dear By Men, author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, Mask, and Bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear By Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. So uh, you are both working together to fight against um, the gender-affirming care ban in Tennessee. Can you remind us um, about what's at stake here in Tennessee and and what's been going on legislatively there? 
Yeah, so Tennessee um, is a state that has pushed anti-trans legislation for a long time. And as the attacks on trans lives and bodies escalated, Tennessee really was leading the charge in many ways. And in 2023, they passed Senate Bill 1. So the very first piece of legislation introduced in Tennessee in 2023 was a bill that banned gender-affirming care for trans adolescents under the age of 18. Um, and it's far-reaching. It, it, it bans um, not just the prescription of the care by doctors, but the filling of prescriptions by pharmacists um, and uh, prohibits, for example, telemedicine from being provided from other states to people in Tennessee. So this is, you know, very much modeled after the type of bans we're seeing on access to abortion. And this was the first bill filed. It was passed. Um, it went through both chambers of the Tennessee legislature, was signed by uh, by the governor. Um, we at the ACLU, along with Lambda Legal, uh, the ACLU of Tennessee and Aiken Gump, a law firm, uh, filed a lawsuit on behalf of L two other um, young people and their families and one doctor in Tennessee. And we were able to block the law at the district court. Um, so the, the trial level court where the judge is the closest to the evidence issued an incredibly extensive ruling, in essence, finding all of the arguments put forth by the state of Tennessee to not be supported by the evidence. And this has really been the trend that when the evidence is looked at, what is shown to be true is that it just simply can't hold up to scrutiny. And the court found that the law violated the equal protection rights of transgender young people, um, as well as the rights of parents to make medical decisions for their minor children, which is a very well-established right under our constitutional system. Unfortunately, the state of Tennessee ever aggressive in its efforts to attack trans people, immediately uh, sought a, a block on that uh, injunction from the higher court, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. So in essence, there were two cases, one from Kentucky and then one from our case from Tennessee. We went up to the Sixth Circuit and unfortunately that court reversed the injunctions from the lower court. Um, and in so doing, really did two, I think, fundamental uh made many errors, but I think two fundamental thematic things that we should note. First, they didn't look at the evidence. Um, they said that for many reasons that they didn't have to. Um, and I would think that would be, that was a distortion of, 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 um, the Supreme Court. Uh, case law, um, but avoided the evidence. And I think that's important because when you look at the evidence, it simply can't hold up to scrutiny. And the other thing that they did is greatly expand the reach of Dobbs, which is the Supreme Court case that overturned Roe v. Wade. And we're starting to see that case being weaponized against trans people. That is what happened on September 28th. They issued that opinion, um, and Elle is the lead plaintiff in our case. And we are now, because of the urgency, because of the crisis facing young people uh, in this country, there are now 21 states that are that ban gender affirming care for trans minors in a span of three years. So just to keep to keep that in mind, you know, there are 14 states that ban abortion, and that's a crisis. There are 21 states that ban gender affirming care in the span of three years. There is not an infrastructure to support that type of restriction on care that people have come to rely on. So we are asking the Supreme Court uh, to review that decision, um, and we are hopeful that they will take the case and see the error in the lower court's reasoning um, and reverse, and so that we can start to strike down these devastating and dangerous laws across the country. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars, it's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. 
The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What do you wish people knew about this subject that maybe they don't know? You know, this is about, are we going to have access to healthcare or not? And we already know in this country that we greatly limit access to people's healthcare. But to the point that, you know, yes, they're focusing on our healthcare. They're focusing on access to gender-affirming care for trans adolescents. But we know they have no intention of, of stopping there, nor did they start there. That They've spent the last 50 years attacking access to abortion. We know that they're using Dobbs to try to take... Uh, uh, just limit our ability as trans people to access the healthcare that we need to actualize our bodies and our freedom and our, uh, you know, sort of full potential. But this is also about, are they going to come for uh, other forms of healthcare that we need? Are they coming for contraception? Are they coming for the care that people require as they age? We know that they're trying to limit access to vaccines and, and, and other forms of preventive care. We live in a country in which uh, we don't prioritize health. We don't invest in health across the board. And this is part of that struggle. Um, our ability to access healthcare is part of a larger struggle. And, and that is that we want, I, I think we want people to understand that we, none of us are fighting these battles alone. Um, and we rise and fall together. Haven't we now had like different rulings in district courts on gender affirming care? Like didn't one district court say like, oh, like that's not constitutional. It's not going into effect. But then the Sixth Circuit did allow it to go into effect. So doesn't that mean that we're probably going to be on like a fast track to the Supreme Court now because district courts have made like competing rulings? Or is that not true? District courts, which is the lowest federal court, have almost unanimously struck down these laws. And so, you you know, up and before the Sixth Circuit, we had seven federal district courts blocking these laws. And the Sixth Circuit, when it's isu issued its stay opinion, which was the, the first opinion that at the beginning of July that that allowed Tennessee's law to go into effect, that broke with the consensus. Um, and then the Eleventh Circuit, which is another federal appeals court, also ended up reversing a lower court injunction uh, and 
and that will potentially allow Alabama's law to go into effect. So we have this sort of trend, unfortunately, towards these decisions from federal appeals courts that are allowing these laws to go into effect. Now, previously, we had a case against uh, Arkansas and that uh, the law in Arkansas was enjoined preliminarily, and that decision was affirmed, upheld by a federal appeals court. So the split among the federal appeals courts um, now is between this court that uh, affirmed the decision from Arkansas, um, and then the sixth. And what circuit is that? That's the eighth circuit. Um, so we have the eighth circuit going one way, and the sixth and the eleventh going the other way. Now. Lots of procedural things have happened across the country. I think to your point, though, this is all moving incredibly quickly. It's moving incredibly quickly legislatively where we saw the sea change in terms of access to care and the bans. It's moving incredibly quickly through the federal courts. And one of the indicators of whether the Supreme Court is going to take a case is whether there's a split, so differing decisions from federal appellate courts. And that is, in essence, what we're saying is this is time for the Supreme Court to to step in, which is a weighty and terrifying thing. When you know, A, the magnitude and power of a Supreme Court decision, it can impact the material conditions of people's lives for generations or longer. Uh, We know that this is a court that just overturned Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision and issued um, many, uh, you know, just struck down affirmative action. There are lots of reasons to be concerned about what this court will do with civil rights claims under the Constitution. Um, Right now, if you look at the number of words uh, that are discussing and really debating trans healthcare and trans people, it is highly disproportionate to our numbers in society. You know, whereas we may represent, uh, you know, somewhere around 1% of the population, our representation and media coverage is far outsized for our numbers. And that is giving people a skewed sense of the sort of magnitude of quote unquote debate over our lives and our healthcare. And that is very deliberate because when there is a sense that there is something to be debated that fuels anxiety and allows lawmakers to erode our civil rights and legal protections. And that's exactly what's happening now through not just the outsized coverage, but the amount of misinformation in that coverage, including misinformation about the nature of the care, the nature of parental involvement, and exactly what is happening. And it's tapping into people's incredibly deep-seated anxiety about anything that destabilizes the gender binary, which is a fundamental organizing principle for most of the power structures that we have in our society. Yeah. That's definitely true. And I think one of the main issues is that people are framing it as a debate. That's not a debate. Typically a debate, you know, both sides bring facts to the table and try and argue positions. One side is bringing facts and the other side is bringing fake facts. And one side's position, if you consider them sides, is that we shouldn't exist at all. Would these bans outlaw, if they, if we lost at the Supreme Court, would it would would states' rights still get to be states' rights where you can get gender-affirming care, or would it just mean that it can go into effect in the states that don't want to have gender-affirming so care? So this is a really important and good question. At this point, the question is, is it unconstitutional to ban the care? And so the if the answer to that question is no, it's not you know that that it's that that it's constitutional that the states can do it that doesn't mean the states have to do it um in this current permutation now we know that the right is coming more broadly they want to ban this nationally they just as they you know so and if the republicans get the house and senate they could totally put forward a bill about that and if it's ruled not unconstitutional then just like we could have a national abortion ban we could have this too well so so first and foremost i think we want to fight 
so that this is available in every state. And it's not just available, that it's widely accessible and um, affordable, which of course it wasn't and isn't. Um, and, and, and so that fight is, is ongoing. That is ultimately what we're fighting at the Supreme Court, which is can states continue to ban the care? The larger question of okay, will states have to ban the care, that I think our greatest threat there is Congress, is what happens in 2024? Do we have a flip? Uh, of the House, uh, well, does the House stay? Does the Senate flip? Does the President flip? Such that we have federal bans on gender affirming health care and abortion. Um, and that is a real concern. And even if that doesn't happen, I think we should be really concerned about what states end up doing with respect. Um, and that we know is sort of the next frontier of attack, um, which is, you know, restrictions on people's movement um, in order to access care out of state that is prohibited in state. And there's other constitutional questions that come up in that context. But in terms of how are we feeling, you know, first and foremost, we're just asking them to take it. You know, the Supreme Court doesn't take most cases. And so the, the step one is take the case. And then step two, if they do take it, is fight on the merits. Um, and, you know, I will say it's always an uphill battle. Um, and and more than anything, what I'll say to the listener is this, is, is that, yes, we fight in court and the justices apply the law. But at the end of the day, they're human beings that live in the country with the rest of us. And each and every person has a role to play in the country that we live in and the country that the justices see when they rule on our rights. And so whether we win is ultimately going to depend on what is the conversation that's happening over the next six months to 18 months. Are we going to continue to debate trans existence? Are we going to continue to legitimize the notion that our lives, our bodies, and our healthcare are our proper subjects of debate? Or are we uh, going to shift that narrative such that the conditions that the justices see in the world are different? Um, and that's the conversation I want to have because that's the conversation that implicates all of us. Do you remember how old you were, El, when you started or like do you remember like the first time you ever like thought or were like or like you were you ever experienced dysphoria or dysphoric feelings yeah maybe in the fourth grade i think i was just kind of dreading the idea of myself having facial hair fortunately that was never really a thing that happened so which i think is important when we talk about the irreversibility the rhetoric that we hear all the time is about the irreversibility of the gender affirming care which is also overstated but the reality is that for all of these young people these pubertal changes are irreversible and that is extremely terrifying um, for people like Elle, who thankfully have had access to treatment at a young age and so we would be ripping that away and forcing their bodies to change in ways that they've never felt. So Chase, what's something that we can all do right now to support gender affirming care? How can we support the ACLU? How can we all follow your fight against the Tennessee gender affirming care ban? What can we do? I mean, I think first and foremost, I really believe that this starts with micro interventions in our lives. Like I really want everyone to start thinking about how they're reifying and reinforcing the gender binary all the time in their lives, because ultimately the transformation is going to start with how we reconceptualize what's possible. So that means just sort of stop making assumptions, stop gendering everything, stop gendering fetuses, stop gendering babies in a way that's overly gratuitous. We don't need that. What we need is to give people the opportunity to explore who they are. Um, and that is actually what gender affirming care is about. It's about exploration. It's about understanding and affirming yourself. Um, these prohibitions are, are about enforcing a conformity, are about 
prohibiting exploration, about cutting off the possibilities that people um, will get to live full and free lives. And so I really believe that all of us, it starts with how we engage in our everyday life. And then in terms of following the fight in the coming months um, and years, engage with state legislative uh, fights. Anti-trans bills have proliferated in, in almost every state around the country. So fight back, support people in states that are inundated with these types of laws. And if this case, if Al's case does end up at the Supreme Court, you know, please follow um, Lambda Legal and the ACLU and our fight um, and the fight of other organizations uh, across the country and and, and show your support for, for, for trans young people. Don't debate them. And also don't take away their agency. They know who they are. Um, and, and, and in fact, I mean, I listened to Elle at 15 years old, I can no more put together a sentence about myself, um, let alone articulate my truth, uh, to the legislature, to the highest courts in this country. So we should be looking at them as guides, not, um, taking, not, not attacking them in their agency. Elle, um, this is our final question and it's for you. We love to end Curious Now on a moment of, uh, of joy. Actually, it's really queer joy, but... Whatever the joy is. Uh, my moment of queer joy. Uh, I have a girlfriend now. And it's awesome. Oh my gosh. She's awesome. She thinks I'm awesome, I guess. So that's awesome. Young love. Uh, she's like an amazing person. Oh. And I love her. Also, I have a funny picture of her holding a snake. Like a guy holding a fish on a like Tinder profile. Or I am literally scared of them and I always have been my entire life. But I think that they're sweet. And sometimes I feel guilty when I see them getting eaten on like National Geographic and stuff. So I will say that. Like I don't not like snakes. I'm just freaking scared of them, Elle. Uh, I'm so scared of guys on Tinder profiles holding fish. Thanks for coming on and we just love you. And thanks for being so brave and major and congratulations. And Chase, we love you so much. Thanks for coming on Curious Now. Love you. But we did, we did it, Elle. We did it, Chase. We did, you guys did so good on Curious Now. Um, we love you guys. Um, yay, go us. And congratulations, Elle. You're the best. You've been listening to Curious Now with me, Jonathan Van Ness. You can learn more about this week's guest and their area of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on and follow us on Instagram at CuriousJBN. I also talk a lot about the podcast on my TikTok if you want to follow me over there on official JBN. Curious Now drops every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to tune in next Monday for an episode of Pretty Curious and every Wednesday for Getting Curious because Getting Curious still every Wednesday. Don't even ever worry about it. But you still can't get enough? You can subscribe to Extra Curious on Apple Podcasts for commercial-free listening, which I love, and our subscription-only show, Ask JBN, where we're talking sex, relationships, and so much more. Our engineer is Nathaniel McClure. Our theme music is also composed by Nathaniel McClure. Curious Now is produced by me, Chris McClure, and Allison Weiss, with production support from Julie Carrillo, Ann Curry, and Chad Hall. 